Welcome to the dark stream. Welcome to the motherfucking dark stream podcast. <laughs> I'm Darth Richtus. I'm Darth Camgentace, and we swear we say all the swear words. Oh yeah, fuck yeah, every fuck day. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> anyway, we've got Streets of New Capenna dropping. It has dropped. It is online. It is available on Arena. Finally, at long last, even if you don't have early access. You can play. Sounds like the format's already broken, right? <laughs> Obnixilis has made its debut. Um, you can copy it with a Seekus Chariot. If you if you get any of the tokens on Casualty, yep, it's it's been pretty nuts. I got to watch somebody uh, copy Obnixilis twice with a Seekus Chariot on an early access preview, and then they were basically pulling an Invoke Despair every single turn. Oh my! And at end of the game, in about three turns, with the opponent just sitting there looking at him. And pausing for max time out of frustration. And I'm like, yeah, that's about a lot what of I salt roping. A lot of salt roping. That's got to be a frustrating experience to be on the other end of it. And and not only to be getting beaten so soundly and have no prayer, but also to know that this is probably what standard looks like for the foreseeable future. Yeah, that that is a strong combo. We've been there before with the Seekers Chariot with Ren and Seven. Yep. And yep. just a Seekers Chariot in the format on its way up the chain to Goldspan Dragon. It's And now you get to do the Planeswalker before the Chariot, and you also get to copy the Planeswalker, not just the token the Planeswalker makes. Right, and possibly more than once, although I don't know how many times you need Planeswalker copies before it's time for the opponent to, I don't know, salt rope or scoop. Yeah, pretty pretty quickly, pretty quickly. And I mean, we're we're talking about colors that also have access to things like Meat Hook Massacre to keep the board clear. Oh yeah, and all the good removal in black, like that's. Oh yeah, and those Devil tokens too, so that Meat Hooks can go a little bit further. Yeah, because they can kill the devils, and the devils can throw themselves or do a little Mog Fanatic impersonation and take down some slightly bigger targets. Yeah. So if you if you've missed the memo so far, Jund is back, baby, and it Hell is fucking yeah, it's rolling strong. That's real magic. I would expect to see Jund smashing through the first weekend of Standard. I love it. I'm kind of curious how Obnixilis is going to deal with some of the older formats on Arena. Um, I don't know where its application is going to be for things in Alchemy and Historic. I mean, Alchemy is not that old, so my guess is it'll still be pretty good. Asika's Chariot's a little less powerful there, but it still does what it needs to with Obnixilis. Yeah, it, it, got a, it got a nerf so that it makes, what, one cat and cruise for one? Cruise for two. Cruise for two. Cruise for a cat. For cruise for a cat. Yes, yeah, so you just get one less token, which I don't think is a big deal when you're trying to copy up Nixilis, right? Right, right. If your goal is to abuse the chariot to copy a crazy token, crewing for two is almost better. It can be. the The difference is, I I did get to see a scenario where they played up Nixilis, it got dealt with. They played chariot in standard, get two tokens, then played up Nixilis and casualtyed twice. Because of the two tokens. You can casualty more than once? I think that's what it was. No, it's the casualty X, right? Like you the X is the loyalty. Let me dump into it real quick and or, take a or can take you a peek. Sack both of them to get four loyalty? I want to double check before I say anything further on this one. That would be something. Because I believe this thing is kind of gross. And there's a lot of sure. words on old Obnixie. I think people are gonna get a lot of things wrong with it. Yeah, and to be fair, they already had to errata uh, two cards that they printed for weekend one of the pre-release. They had, uh, Le I think it was Legrella the Meat Pie or Toad Pie or whatever the hell, and that one had to get errata already because they they did the wrong wording. And so the wording everybody saw uh, essentially let a three-drop sweep the board, 
And what it actually is supposed to do is exile up to one creature your opponent has and up to one creature you have. Yeah, some, sometimes those things slip through. There was a some kind of air elemental-ish creature that was an uncommon in one of the original um, Kamigawa sets mm. that for some amount of mana gave creatures a minus toughness or power or both. Yeah. And it was supposed to be until end of turn, but they just forgot to type those words into the template. Yep. So it was, yeah, you show up for pre-release and they let you know, okay, there's an errata on this one. It's it's not actually a good card. It's a card from Champions of Kamigawa. So Obnixilis is Casualty X. So you only get to copy it once. But right. getting to copy it at four loyalty is kind of a big deal as well. <laughs> so, so you get to, you can sack, to, can you sack more than one creature? You can sacrifice a creature with power X. Okay, so... One of the cats. Right. But, not both. But the point is you can crew the chariot, smack, get a cat, sack it to Nixie, which you can do in both scenarios. Right. But for power, two power, these are different things entirely. Two creatures. Very much so. Not of course being, you want to sack the tapped kitty, not the fresh one. Also not being able to get cleaned up by a Fris, uh, Prismari command is a big deal. Because in alchemy you can cleanly answer with of a course, Prismari. Of course. And that's that's kind of what made the errata to a Seeker's, or I guess you call it the nerf. The nerf. To yeah. a Seeker's chariot. I, I suppose palatable in alchemy and historic is that still powerful, but you can, yeah, you can clean it up with a K command or you can clean it up with a P command. Well, it's, it's a rare sighting of a Sika's in alchemy. Um, the beauty of alchemy, I guess, is that they introduced cards that were stronger than a Sika's chariot before the nerf. So you have things like city stalker connoisseur, which is just a better four drop than a Sika's chariot was by a pretty wide margin. Because you're almost always guaranteeing that two-for-one with it. Probably, yeah. And it led to the War of the Orvar, as I call it, where you're just playing Orvars and City Stalkers and going back and forth. I had a game go where I drop City Stalker, they discard Orvar, copy my City Stalker, and then they hit me with that effect, to which I discard my Orvar. And we went back and forth till both of us lost two Orvars. You you love playing the decks that have shell games in them, don't you? <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It was, what was the, the pirate that steals stuff? From yes. Ixalan, what was that called? It was like a Kite Dimir? Sail Freebooter? Or no, no, are we the, talking... the Freebooter was the black and one for a 1-2 flyer. I'm talking yeah. about the black, blue, two for a 2-3. ETB's Hostage Taker? Hostage Taker, Hostage yes. Taker, yeah, you had this deck that was like oh, yes, yes, Hostage yes, yes. Takers <laughs> and, and Scarab Gods to make Hostage Taker copies and... Yeah, it was the remix on God Pharaoh's Gift because I, the blue-white version was so much stronger at the beginning until people started finding ways to interact and blow right. God Pharaoh. So then I was like, okay, we're not running Refurbish. We're just going the distance with uh, Hostage Takers and Scarab Gods, and we're grinding them out, and then God Pharaoh's is for value at the end. And that took down a PPTQ back in the day. Sick. It was it was a lot of fun. But if we we go back over here to Streets of New Capenna and things I'm looking at, I'm seeing Jund coming out clearly ahead in standard. As it should. At least week one. It's about time. Yeah, at least week one. Look, if Jund is good week one, that is a strong indicator that it's going to be good permanently. Because the, you know those value Jund decks, they're not good necessarily in a way that you can attack. You just have to make your deck good enough to play against them. You know, it's not, it's not like some decks you can bring in, you know, like a, a sweeper effect because they go wide. That's how I deal with that, right? A good way to deal with like a mono red deck is to play a mono red creature based deck. Sure. Is to play a sweeper that costs four or three mana and cleans it up. Right. Or maybe a mid range based creature deck you can play four or five mana sweeper and clean it up. And, you know, maybe they got a planeswalker you got to deal with or something, but there are kind of straightforward, obvious ways to deal with a lot of decks. 
and the mid-range Jund value decks, the only straightforward, obvious way is to go bigger. Yes. And other than that, you just gotta, you just gotta get chippy, and you gotta play better or. Even faster is kind of difficult because these decks are always so good at dealing with early game stuff. And you're seeing that here because the Chariot's going to come down, make a couple of creatures to block. It's going to be able to copy, you know, in that in that God draw version where you're putting it together with uh, Obnixilis. Mm -hmm. And Obnixilis is making creatures to stand in the way, block, die, kill other things, gain you some life, get you some marginal advantage. I mean, this is just... This 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 standard is is looking to be like the fantasy standard I have been wanting to play for years. It's going to be an interesting one, that's for sure. There is um, there's a creature that got introduced to Jund. It's uh, black and one, and that's going to be the powerhouse behind Obnixilis. I'm trying to find it real quick here, um, but it's it's what allows you to do that broken curve where you're casualtying Obnixilis on three, you're playing this creature on two, you're Obnixilis on three, you're Seekus Chariot on four, and that way you have the copy of Obnixilis on turn three, which gets filthy really quick because, I mean, Obnixilis is starting at, uh, this creature is a three, two, if I remember correctly. So Obnixilis, the copy is also starting at three. So now you have six power in terms of loyalty on the board, turn three, both of them going plus one to make your opponent lose two life or discard a card. Right. And they just do that every turn. And then don't, don't you gain some life if you've got a devil? Uh, the devils, you can minus two to make the devil, and it deals one damage to any target when it Right, 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 but the plus does. ability where the opponent gets to choose. I think if you have a devil, you gain some life too, don't you? You gain two life, yes. Wow. So you can minus two one, plus one the other, and hit them for the old wombo combo. You know, and it's easy to, to be in like early new season or spoiler season and look at these cards and lay out the ideal curve out scenario you know like we were doing that a lot for example ac across anybody any magic player when we were seeing i don't remember what the fuck it was called but it was it was that triple green five four elf knight yeah that is kind of hard to block like things with power two or less can't block it or something Steel like that champion five four for triple green right, yeah. right and people are like oh man turn one land or else turn two this on the play and then you just smash their face in and like yeah the games that started that way were a massacre almost every time but, you know, when you draw that shit out of order and you top deck a Lanoir Elves on turn six when you need action, or even you top deck that 5-4 that for three mana on turn six when your opponent has, you know, stuff like Doomblade or whatever, it's not that great and you get that stuff off curve and its power level goes way, way, way down. Yep. But the difference with this Obnixilis Asika's Chariot stuff, those cards are good at almost any point in the game. Yeah, Obnixilis uh, will have difficulty potentially later game. If you're behind too much, it's going to have some issues. That's most walkers, though. Yeah, that's, that's most walkers. And that's kind of the game you're playing. And the beauty of playing Planeswalkers in control or mid-range decks is you're playing protection pieces. You're trying to essentially contain. You're trying to shove the opponent into a box and contain. And as long as you can maintain that, your walkers come out way ahead. Right. I mean, for that that's kind of the case of any good card, though. If you're getting behind, your good card isn't going to save you. Right. Right. Like, Doomblade isn't going to do the trick if they've got two or three creatures. But it's a damn good card. But, you know, that's that's when you want your Meat Hook Massacre, right? Right. But, the, you, you know, your, your bailout card like that or a Shatterstorm or something like that isn't going to have this wide applicability. And usually, they're going to be reactive as opposed to proactive. Yeah. So and the, this stuff, like, yeah, could, there are there some situations Ob won't get you out of? Yeah. 
but it'll get you out of more situations than a lot of other things at three mana. Yep, and the, the two-drop I was uh, referring to is called Tenacious Underdog. It's one in a black for a 3-2 that you can cast from your graveyard using its Blitz ability. So you sack it to Obnixilis, and you can still get it back. And the Blitz ability is two black, black, pay two life. Not an issue if you're gaining life off Obnixilis. And for Blitz, in case you're not familiar yet, it means it comes, it comes out of the graveyard, it gains haste, and whenever it dies, you draw a card, and you sack it at the end of turn. Oh, but, but it goes back to the graveyard. Yep. Oh, wow. So you just blitz it every turn for an additional wow. card. So, so this, you're is, this two is like unearth, but like hardcore better. Yep. Wow. Yeah, it's it's unearthed without the restriction. And you get to draw a card for everything with blitz when it dies. I am I am so ready for this format. I cannot wait till Monday when we get to play with these cards on the stream. Yep, yep. It's There's just a lot of spice in this format. There's a lot of grind. There's a lot of interesting things. Um, I've, so I played, some, I played a pre-release and had some fun with it. And a few things that stand out about that pre-release to me are that, one, um, expect sealed games to go long. There are a lot of choices. There are a lot of ways to interact. This set is really well made. There's a lot of staying power in these cards, too. You're talking about that Blitz ability and being able to recast from the graveyard over and over and over. This is, yeah, everything I've been seeing about Streets is just like, this is the kind of magic I want to be playing. Yep. The there's five hideaway cards. I don't know if you guys remember hideaway. I remember hideaway. I didn't know they were in this set. Hideaway's back for exactly five enchantments, one in each color, and all of them are really good limited cards, but none of them are broken. And uh, I, I got to play with the blue one, which lets you draw an additional card a turn, but you can only use the hideaway if you have nine cards in hand, which I did get to do a few times because of just the staying power of these cards and how often you get to do it. It also decked me three times. <laughs> because of how long these games go yeah you gotta be careful about that i i was i was completely flabbergasted the first time it happened i'm like and i'm gonna i'm out of time like i'm out of turns there's no way to do anything like i can't even kill them like they're just more money more problems yeah it, it was wild it was wild i've not been decked in a sealed game with regularity but that happened three times in the tournament i still ended up in second place doing fine but like it blew my mind that i was getting decked in sealed play it's not i've never had that issue i've had that happen a couple of times like on arena because i would make some super weird sealed decks just because sure but sure. yeah i mean that's that's it when i'm when i'm going really weird but not just playing a card because it's a good card right and I, I guess to put it more accurately with that with this, that card it's called wiretap by the way wiretapping okay which i love nice four and a blue do you get to see the opponent's hand at some uh, point no but you hide away five and it just whenever you would draw a card draw another one so the problem with that is you get into situations with connive where you're drawing a card for connive right and all of a sudden you're activating and you deck yourself really fast with connives but you also get to go kind of nuts with connive which can do quite a bit for you so it's it's a hell of an advantage but i seriously by the last round i just added three more cards into the main didn't cut anything just went to 43 just went to 43 <laughs> i was like all right we're adding a land and two more non like doesn't matter, can be kind of mediocre because I'm going to see a ton of cards playing this deck. Was 43 the answer to everything or was it 42? 42. 42. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you messed that one up then. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. But That's the, why you got second place. Mostly because I drew two of the four rounds. <laughs> uh, yeah, we went 202. That's why we ended up there. But uh, it, it was also fascinating to me. The things that I thought were going to be busted, the things that I thought were going to be bombs... In the set in sealed, there were answers to in the common slot and uncommon slot. 
I had three opponents play Elspeth, the Planeswalker, which is a bomb. And, you know, Planeswalker is always... It's a five-mana Planeswalker called Elspeth. It's it's going to be good because they want it to be good. I, I haven't right. even read it. I don't even remember. I, I remember we read it on a different cast, and I got, like, pissed off, and it makes a different bunch of different kind of tokens or something. And yep. Looks, looks yep. like a great card online and horrible in person. Yeah. And the answer I had for it each time, like, I was playing uh, Esper. And they have a one-mana hard counter for non-creature spells in blue, where it's just blue counter-target non-creature spell, your opponent gets two treasure tokens. Which, depending on what stage of the game you're in, is excellent. Right. And getting to counter the bomb with that was amazing. I also played a Disdainful Stroke, got to do that one time. And then the last one, I opened a Scheming Fence, which, for those who play Scheming Fence, please understand, you don't get to Meddling Mage with that card. You have to choose a card that's already been played, you don't just get to name one. This was another one of the things that the judges had to figure out because I remember looking at it in my hand going, are you meddling major, aren't you? Right, it's <laughs> and having not. To call a judge it, is, over. it is not. And it's not, it's not. But I, I had a person, uh, an individual play the Elspeth. It came out, it gave one of their creatures a counter. I don't remember what the counter was even for. And then I just went to my turn, hit scheming fence, yeah, named fence Elspeth. that motherfucker. And then started smashing them with the unblockable fishies because that exotic pets card is good. It's very good if you play anything with connive. You now have three power unblockable. I'm really enjoying the flavor of this set too. It's so cheeky. It's very cheeky. Omnixillus in a fucking suit, you know. I got I, to, I got to play witness protection on a giant creature. Witness protection. <laughs> it was so much flavor, man. It was lovely. It was it was lovely. There's a lot of flavor. Uh, the ascendancies are good. If you can get those colors and in sealed, especially, you should be able to run three colors. There's a ton of mana fixing in the set in common slots. You should be able to hit three colors on average for your sealed pool. I saw people running five colors and it wasn't hard. Yeah, it sounds. The, I mean, they've got the common support. They've got the really good tri lands, which I'm glad to see the other half of that. You know, 10 land cycle that yep. have cycling and have all the land types. And it's good to see the triomes. They have the fetch lands that are at common slots now. Mm -hmm. They've yep. got the uh, guild draw lands. They've also got a ton of treasure creation which allows you to splash really easily. I'm a huge fan of treasure. I, I think treasure is a great compromise to yeah. a, a problem that has plagued Magic the Gathering for as long as I've known before they started putting treasure in everything and, and evergreened it, which was the mana screw and mana flood. Yep. And it's it's you can you know look at all of Frank Karsten's math and make your mana base as perfectly as possible, like, you know, the, the, the green-black snake decks of standards gone by. Oh, yeah. With Verderous Gearhulk and that. We were talking about that yesterday on, on yep. the stream. That deck had almost perfect mana. Yep. That deck had almost perfect mana. And I played it a lot, whether it was a good call or not. But it would still it would still get mana screws, and it would still get mana floods, and it would still be like too much green, too much black, not enough of whatever. And that, that happens. You, you should be required by the scarcity of the game, and I like it, to design a mana base that works and not just be, you know, like that cube player who takes mana fixing at the beginning and then bombs at the end. Right. And and you just, everything's an amalgam and who cares? The decks have pressure points, identity, whatever. But it is super feel bad when the deck just craps in your mouth and you can't do a damn thing about it. It's even yep. feel bad when you're sitting across the table from someone and it's happening because, you know, I mean, there's nothing to say, really. It's just like, oh, sorry, but I'm I'm still going to take the W, Timmy, you know? I've, I've had that happen in the finals of a PPTQ a few times. Mm -hmm. uh, once to myself, which was frustrating, but twice where I watched it happen in game three to my opponent. 
and it just sucked because you're like we like yeah you want the w but it's just such a stupid way to win it yeah i i had one of those decks crap in my mouth actually uh playing against schroeder in what was essentially the finals of a PPTQ, because everyone else was already queued and they were like going to scoop me straight through. Yep. And it's like, I just have to be Schroeder. <laughs> yep. And like, everyone will scoop me straight through and I sit down to play against him. And I was, yeah, playing this rock deck that I made that was definitely like tier 2.5, but I knew it well and I was able to win with it. Yep. And he was playing this Naya deck that had to curve perfectly. And if it did, it was really powerful. And if it didn't, I was pretty confident I'd be able to take him apart. Yeah. And I drew all the lands that didn't make mana. You know, I drew the energy lands. Oh, no. <laughs> I drew, like, three copies of the energy land, and I just couldn't play anything, and he just like, okay, you uh, kill that, kill that, beat you to death. And then we did another game in a row. Oh, my God. And, you know, that that, that was a bummer. I don't care that much, but, like, it, st it stands out in my memory. That was a bummer. And he was, I remember him being like, sorry it had to be this way, and what else do you say? Yeah. I mean, you know, I wanted to win, he wanted to win. If it, the position was reversed, I wouldn't be like, ah, oh, throw it back, get a new hand. Right. But, I mean, the treasure kind of fixes some of this to some extent because I does. want the randomness. I want the games to feel different. I, I want you to have to think about what's coming off the top of your library, what's coming off the top of their library, and have have pressure points and designing mana bases. And you still get all that with treasure, but it helps just smooth things out enough. Yes. Yes, it does. Treasure is definitely something that I'm happy to see back. I'm happy to see the common slot have so much ability to generate it now so that yeah. you get a lot of incidental treasure instead of having it be kind of a rare effect, which is how it was introduced in, what was it, Ixalan? Yeah, somewhere in Ixalan. Well, they didn't really know what they were going to do with it then. Right. And it was, you know, like piratey and kind of still is, but... Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I like the cards that are kind of like, you know, the, the three mana, one, four blue guy that comes down and drops a treasure... Yep. So like a three mana one four, that's not good enough. Three mana one four that drops a treasure. There are places in maybe standard where you might want that sometimes. Yeah. Sailor of Means, that's what it's called. Yep. Those kind of cards, or or yeah, like the Prosperous Innkeeper. The, these cards were like, if you print them without the and I make a treasure or two ability, they suck. They're unplayable. Yeah. But you put a treasure or two on it, and all of a sudden you got something here. Agree. I agree. The ascendancy cards in the new street set, don't overlook those when you're, if you, if you crack them, if you see them in limited, especially sealed, but uh, even in draft, if you see broker's ascendancy, it is accurately titled. It is broken. <laughs> that, that card, once it sits on the battlefield for, for two turns, will break free every stalemate you have. And even if you only have one creature, that creature is going to run away with the game quickly. I got to see what does broker stalemate do? So broker's ascendancy, ascendancy. Um, is a bant enchantment. So just an green enchantment, an enchantment. I gotcha. <laughs> green, white, blue enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, you put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control and a loyalty counter on each planeswalker you control. Hot. So I got to see this get combined with that exotic pets that gives you two fishies, and they also get one counter from anything that's already on the board. And just and they're unblockable. Nice. And it just grew the fish army. Right. And then your opponent sleeps with the fishes. Yes. Which is very on flavor. Bestiality, for... I know. Yes. <laughs> very on flavor. Yes. <laughs> so it's the ascendancies are not something you want to overlook. Uh, hostile takeover. If you open that, draft it. It's amazing. It is a it is a one sided wrath of God most of the time. In what's the text on that one? So this is Grixis and two. 
sorcery. Up to one target creature has base power and toughness 1 1 until end of turn. Up to one other target creature has base power and toughness 4 4 until end of turn. Then it deals three damage to each creature. So you can take their bomb. That's hilarious. And you can push it down to a 1 1. You can take your minor creature, bump it up to a 4 4, and then blow out everything else on the right, board. Right. Maybe you got something else that's 4 toughness or whatever. That's. That's a funny card. It's really, really hard to deal with. I played against that, and it blew me out one of the three games I played against the individual. It, it was quite quite the blowout. See, that's an example of something I was talking about earlier on the on this podcast of, of like, that's a super reactive card, mm -hmm. but that will get you out of a hell of a pinch. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. You know, that's, that's a perfect card for either a well-defined format or a well-defined format and you know that it needs to solve a particular problem on your sideboard yep yeah there's there's a lot of spice in this set i like that uh we're getting the triomes back triomes whatever however they're pronounced i called them triomes okay and therefore i will call these triomes as well <laughs> yeah but, grixis triome i don't give a fuck what it's actually called fuck that I mean, I'm I'm really excited. I'm probably going to spend a fair amount of this weekend uh, just drafting the set and seeing what the play patterns look like. With the uh, trying to figure out what's going to be relevant for these constructed formats, because I found that usually my mistake is I'll go right into the constructed format and just start crafting everything and trying to pull it all together immediately without understanding how these cards interact. On oh yeah, I access. love to start with draft because that that shows you the hidden gems. Yes. And it shows you the synergies that maybe you wouldn't have caught on immediately and it shows you how powerful certain abilities can be. Yep. And it, it also shows you things that maybe are broken that you wouldn't have noticed otherwise. If you've uh, got any familiarity with sports, think of draft in a weird way, kind of like uh, minor league play and you're just scouting. Like, you're just out there, you're scouting for the talent you're going to bring up to play in the majors over with the constructed formats. And drafters are inferior magic players, as we all know. <laughs> if you're listening to it and you're a drafter, we're throwing shade in your face. I'm kidding. But I'm kidding. Uh, but I've, I've always been bad at draft as a magic player. They're like, I wasn't bad at draft. I refused to engage in the skill set. Same. For I would a long sit time. down at the table... And like, I just, like, I wouldn't know what the hell was going on. And somebody would be sitting next to me like, oh, you're in blue, aren't you? And I'm like, how the fuck do you know? Right. You know, and th <laughs> this is a fifth pick and this is a seventh pick. And it all just seemed like wizardry, I guess. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't understand it. I didn't want to do it. I could just net deck and make my tweaks. And I, I got good at constructed formats and figuring that out. And I think it was actually arena that got me into drafting. Yep. Because that was the other problem with drafting is it cost 15, 16 bucks. And I don't want to do that a bunch of times just to get my ass kicked. Yep. In high school, in college, you know, I, that kind of money, I, I could I could spend that on three, four drinks for fuck's sake. Yep. Or it, lo and behold, back in the day, a CD, <laughs> <laughs> which I had many of. <laughs> it, but now, you know, it's just you could just throw some gold at it that you get off daily challenges or you have some extra gems from whatever and you, you jump in. And I always start at bronze because I don't do it that often and just kind of free roll a bunch of drafts and. Yeah, when I you know start getting up into the upper echelons, I start figuring out where my skill set really is. Yeah. But I have developed a drafting skill set, and I don't think I would have except for the arena client. Arena did a really good job of making drafts accessible and not time consuming, and that's what I like yes, about it. Yes, like everybody's moving pretty quickly. There isn't any of this like one person holding up forever. And uh, also, it, it's made drafting a lot more common, so picks are faster now. Way faster. You know, because I remember doing Tuesday night drafts over in Des Moines, and 
when the set came out, the, that first month was like unbearable. Everybody read every card. So that first, literally the first pick when they're 15, you could take 10 minutes. Right. You know? Well, and then, then playing the tournament would take forever too. Yeah. It would, especially if you had a, a quick match. I mean, it's just like any other tournament, but you, you could be sitting there for 40 minutes, just waiting to shuffle some more. Yep. And being able to, I, I understand that it doesn't have the purity of your playing within your pod. But I don't know if you want to do that, get seven friends or qualify for the pro tour, whichever's easier for you. Yeah. And playing within pod is interesting. Um, it's a different game entirely. And I actually prefer not doing it within the pod because if you're playing within the pod, the way in which you draft pushes towards hate drafting a lot more. Right. You got to hate draft and certain decks within the pod, you know, maybe that suck are strong in the context of the pod. Yeah. And if you get outside the pod, your good deck is now a bad deck or your bad deck is now a good deck. And playing outside of a pod gives one a better sense of how good these decks truly are. I'll also put it this way. On packs one and two, when I'm playing on arena, there are two things I don't do that I've done in paper magic. One, I don't rare draft because I'm going to draft like a million times. So I don't have to. I usually don't. Right. Um, and if you draft with any regularity, you don't have to rare draft, but two, I will pass stuff that is really good for other archetypes way later because I want the same courtesy extended back. And it usually works that way because they see that and they go, okay, we're getting that, which means we're going to get it in pack three. So pack two, I'm shipping everything off color that way. Right. And you know, there's probably people, people listening, thinking like, Hey, I don't do that, but yeah, you do. And we went and got political science degrees. So we know it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. We read Thomas Schelling. So what's up? <laughs> Oh, God, that brings me back. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I read it, like, really quickly before the final. But well, yeah. it was interesting. W welcome to college. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you learn it? Kind of. Yeah, enjoy your adventure, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, but the draft draft for this, I cannot wait to get into. Uh, I mean, Sealed's going to be fascinating. And I, I think I'm going to take it slowly. Like, uh, next Monday... We might, we might push into the draft side of things and really go that route. Yeah, that's probably the place to start, actually. I mean, I'm getting excited talking about Jun stuff, and I definitely want to do it. But yeah, that, that is the appropriate place to start, is start with the draft and, and really learn the, the nuance of these cards and, and let, other, let other people that are you know trying to grind super hard right now. I mean, it's the beginning of a new season anyway. Yep. Starting tomorrow, it'll be the, ne the next season. So, yeah, it's... It's kind of a frustrating time to be a brewer because there is the incentive to not brew anything and just play whatever the most powerful thing is from the last standard or historic or whatever the last format was before the set. Sure, sure. With whatever mana base or removal or whatever, obvious upgrades. Yep. And you just go steamrolling everybody in their little experiments. Mm-hmm. And you climb the ladder faster and all that shit. But it, I can't imagine it's fun to do that. I haven't done it. And it's annoying when I run into the people who are doing that. Because, man, come on. It's brewing week, you know? Why Why you gotta Why you gotta be playing all runs epiphanies again, you bastards? <laughs> can't anymore now, can you? Uh, is that banned in standard? It's been a minute since I played oh, standard. fuck. I quit playing standard a while ago, actually. I was gonna say. I, I, don't, I don't I fucking hope so. I, I quit I quit. Oh, no, no. It is. It is. Ago. It is. Because I bought one for the cube. Remember, and we were, oh, we're talking yeah. about, like, yeah, yeah it fit yeah. the themes for the cube, but it was like $50 or whatever, and then they banned it, and it was like $7, even if it was the crazy extended art everything. Yeah, I remember looking at that price, and 
yep, it has to be banned. There's right. no other way. Right. That's how I found out it was banned because it, it became affordable. Fair, fair. And it didn't matter though. I, I wasn't interested in standard until streets. I, I knew that. Yeah. I, I've been staying away because it, it's been so bad for so long and it started getting better. I think around, uh, Kaldheim. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, we're shitting on Asikas and I guess I am and Elrons and, uh, Goldspan. Yeah, let's smear some shit on that dragon too. But other than that, it was a really good set. And those are good cards too. They're interesting cards. They're too good. And, you know, uh, Alrun's Epiphany, obviously, some of the problem was the iterative stuff around it. But, yeah. Um, and actually, to be design has gotten a lot better. It has. And to be fair, I think uh, Alchemy proved that Captain Hindsight was a good way to go because yeah. bumping up uh, the venture cards was really cool. You mean the dungeon things? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I wanted those cards to be good so bad because the dungeon stuff is fun online. Yeah. Again, in person, I don't want to have a little fucking dungeon that I've got to put my penny or M and M on. I want to eat that M and M. You mean put you, it mean on you a don't want to play the game of Monopoly while you're playing the game of Magic? <laughs> I don't want to play the game of Mousetrap while I'm playing the game of Magic. I mean, I'm, I'm okay with doing that in Alchemy because the computer does it for me. Yes. That is the beauty of Arena 2, is that you have a number of mechanics that are super annoying in person that are not. Like, that was the downside to Streets, is I, I love a lot of pieces of it, but there's a lot of different counters to put on, and you got to track which ones are which. I hope in the future there's a better balance to this, because we started seeing that in Ikoria, where there's these counters for, like, Death Touch or Flying or whatever, and I like that idea, but keeping track of it in paper is stupid. Yes. It's just as stupid as Wall of Roots that had minus zero, minus one counters, and creatures that would get minus one, one counters, and creatures that would get plus one, one counters. And for a long time, we haven't seen any of that shit. We've seen plus one, one counters only. Yeah. Because it's stupid when you have to start... I've had a Wall of Roots that had two counters on it that were minus zero, minus ones, and a plus one, one counter on it. And you're looking at it, and it's like, okay, the quarter's this, and the pennies are that, or like the red die, and Fuck all that shit. You know, if these cards should be simpler in paper and like do the crazy Elspeth stuff on Arena. And I think in time we're going to see that balance. Yeah. And I, I don't have an issue with shield counters. I think if you're going to introduce a counter like one per set, totally reasonable. You know what I mean? Like That's shield counters fine. is fine. That's fine. If we're doing shield counters this set, but it's my opinion if we're doing shield counters, we shouldn't do plus one one counters. I would say there, every set one to two different counters at most is what is where my limit is if you get a beyond two like the elspeth thing where it's like here's a flying counter here's a lifelink counter and it's like no 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 and you know i'm coming from a different place too and and some people will relate to this of the cube right yep we have been working on this cube this cube design for a long time and part of the problem kind of in the midst of it because we we're shooting for like a lot of complexity a lot of different paths of gameplay but there's all these counters and all these different tokens and all this stuff to keep track of, and it becomes unmanageable. And it, it almost becomes... Do you remember playing with like any of the really old Worlds decks? Yeah. Like I the, the first Pro Tour decks or something? Yes. I yes. hated those decks so much because you would have like Fountain of Youth or whatever. You'd gain like two life on the end step, and then you'd lose some life on the upkeep because of their artifact. But then you'd gain it back. And every turn, like you're up two, minus two, up one, minus one... You're constantly keeping track of things and being an, a Magic the Gathering accountant, but hardly playing the game. It's <laughs> a good way to put it. Magic the Gathering accountant. That is right. what we're trying to avoid. Right. I don't want to be a Magic the Gathering accountant when I'm playing paper. 
Right. I love having complex cards that just sort the shit out for me on Arena, but in paper, I hope they endeavor for a simpler design like that that Lightning Angel Naya card that's the 4-4 four, four, Trample Haste Lifelink. Yep. That is the kind of paper design I want to see. Yeah, that's it's got some spice to it. I also don't have an issue with things like Blitz. Where Blitz is great! It, it doesn't involve counters. Like, in this case, uh, with the Tenacious Underdog, you're losing a couple life, so you got to, you know, account for that. But it's an interesting effect. It doesn't require a lot of tracking to do. It's got a lot of grind to it. And that's really what I like about this set is that I see so many cards with little addendums, little pieces that have yeah. value that they add in in weird ways. Yeah, the designers are really learning. And I'm. this is a good time to come back to Standard. This is a good time to, to kind of start coming back to the game because... They're taking the cards that weren't good enough and turning them up a little. Yes. And unless Sobnixilis is actually Oko in disguise, I think they're taking the broken shit and turning it down enough. Yeah. And that's that's really what you wanted to see after years of, especially once they introduced Mythics, that was kind of the jumping off point where they're like, here's a flagship card. It's way too good. And here's a bunch of trash you got to buy to get to it. Right. And they've started to balance it out a lot more, which I love because I've always wanted your common slots to be relevant. You know, the commons should be the most powerful cards. And and I guess in a way they are, you know, lightning bolt is more powerful than almost any dual land. Sure. Um, counter spell is more powerful than almost any spell. Sure. But there, there aren't, a, you know, a rancor when it was a common. Yeah. <laughs> in Urza's Legacy, oh. 1998. That beautiful, beautiful era. Or maybe 99, I don't remember. Good old Ranker Geddon. I remember being a kid and going to like some uh, anime convention in Iowa City, Iowa, in, I, I don't know, it looked like a fucking prefab metal building. I don't even remember <laughs> where it was. Because there was a Magic the Gathering tournament for Urza's Legacy, and it was, they're going to have the first foils ever in that set oh god and yeah. there were like i opened a you know i did a draft and got my ass kicked and i opened a foil that was some bad common yeah it was like a two three flying creature for blue and four something on that level of bad right and someone's offering me 10 bucks for it just because it's a foil yeah back then it was the first run of them they were they were really special then yeah i'm sure it's actually worth more these days anyway because the old stuff's just worth so much yeah, now. it's weird like that i so I was going through some cards to sell, and one of the cards I had was uh, a Triskelion from Antiquities. Oh, God. That art. I love that art. Yeah, and, and I thought that, it, you know, I was like, this is probably worth like 30 35 bucks. I can't remember what it actually is. I looked it up, and it was like north of 60 Wow. Like, how the fuck did this happen? You can get one from a shitload of sets for pennies, you know? Yeah, like Mirrodin, whatever. Yeah, you can get, probably get a Mirrodin one for 50 cents. Yeah. And I know it's been reprinted in a lot of Commander stuff, but yeah, sometimes it's just that nostalgia nostalgia's money man nostalgia's money yeah yeah it is oh triskelion that was the that was actually how uh darth camgen taste and i met was on the back of me attempting a mephidros vampire triskelion combo and not understanding how the stack works so yes that was hilarious blew me out with what was it echoing decay yeah echoing decay in in my greater harvester deck that like had trouble even winning games but i could kill everybody else's stuff so they'd get <laughs> frustrated and give up <laughs> And if I'd understood how the stack worked, Triskelion would have won the game on the spot. But I did not, so I removed all three counters at the same time and got blown the fuck out. <laughs> a lesson I have never forgotten, to be fair. The the hardest lessons you learn 
you, they stick with you. Yeah, they do. Yep. You, you make mistakes and they blow up in your face and you probably won't make them again. Yeah. Unless they're in your personal life, in which case I make them constantly. <laughs> Sorry to all my exes anyway. <laughs> Are you? Not really. You know what kind of personal mistake you really can't repeat? Mm. Attacking the high ground. True, true. You won't have a leg to stand on. Oh, okay. Wow, wow. <laughs> oh, my. Anyway, we'll be back for uh, Revenge of the Fifth. Revenge, yeah, Revenge of the Fifth. We That'll be, be the back. next podcast. Yeah, yeah, it will. And uh, in the meantime, we'll be streaming live Monday, 3 to 7, Tuesday, 3 to 7, Wednesday, 3 to 7. Hell yeah. Get ready for the draft. Get ready for the new set. We're going to have some fun. The Dark Stream. The Dark Stream. The Dark Stream.